Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Isios. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. Today, we got a really unique guest. It's super powerful, and I'm super excited to share this story. He's a founder of the nonprofit restaurant Fork and Spoon, which was inspired by his experiences of being homeless and all the struggles that have come with it. He's now giving back in an incredible way, and I'm super excited to share his story. Um, he's uh, been on Esquire's top 40 under 40 list, Las Vegas top 40 or top 100 recognized by Congress. He's a consultant and social entrepreneur. And with We Win 360 Business Consulting for Heart-Centered CEOs. So he's got a powerful resume and a lot to give. So I'm super excited for all the value that's going to come. So super excited to introduce him to you guys. Silo Moses, welcome to the show, man. What's up? What's up? What's up? Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's awesome. Awesome, man. So I read your, your bio. I read everything about you. Well, not everything, but I read a lot. And it was super powerful to see some of the stuff that you've gone through. And maybe just go back to where it all started and kind of fill in the gaps on the intro there and really paint a picture of where you came from, man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my whole journey literally started just a few years ago. Uh, a few years ago, I was working for a uh, traditional boss. I had my traditional nine to five job and uh, I was working in a call center where I was managing roughly seven people on my team and nine to five, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, doing everything I was supposed to be doing as a decent human being, you know, paying my taxes, uh, you know, paying my car insurance, car payments and stuff like that. And went into work one day and found out that I, uh, I was being let go. And, um, it was a, a little tough because at this point uh, in my life, I was already 30 days behind on my rent and uh, 60 days behind on my car payment. Uh, and uh, I was barely hanging on by a string, but at this point, that string was almost non-existent. Uh, so with that being said, without having any money to pay rent, pay my car payment, ended up losing my car, ended up losing my place, ended up going homeless. Uh, so the, I, I'm not what you would think of when you traditionally think of someone who's less fortunate because I, I, I don't do like any drugs whatsoever. And, you know, I, I rarely drink. And usually when we see someone, the first things that we think of when we see someone who's less fortunate is, oh, it's because of drinking or it's because of drugs or it's because of, you know, mental challenges. And at least I know I don't have any mental challenges that I'm aware of. So like for me, it was just like, you know, working paycheck to paycheck. And then that one Friday where I needed my paycheck to definitely be there, it wasn't, it was gone. Uh, so I ended up going homeless for like seven months right here in the streets of uh, Las Vegas. Wow. So what was the reason they let you go? There was no, there was no warning or, you know, what, what was it? No, absolutely not. Yeah. So you know, we were, you know, I was rocking and rolling. I had a good team. We were making a ton of money and for my boss. Uh, and, you know, I was doing really good. I was the first one in the office, last one in the office. I'd work Saturdays if I needed to. Uh, and the reason my boss let me go was 
didn't to me, but he said you had to let me go because he couldn't afford me. Now, I wasn't making a ton of money. I was making $40,000 a year. And in Vegas, that's like okay money because of the cost of living is so cheap. So to me, it was just an easy fix. Well, if you can't afford me, pay me half, right? I'll work for half, like whatever that, because I'm already 30 days behind in my rent. I'm already 60 days behind my car payment. Like I was desperate and I needed an answer. And just letting me go was not the answer I needed, right? Um, and when I was like, hey, just pay me half, he said, we can't do that. I said, okay, well, just give me you know, $10 an hour. Put me on the phone next to my reps. I'll do that. That's easy. He said, can't do that either. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, if I put you on the phone next to your reps, it's going to lower their production because the entire time they're going to be wondering, why is my boss sitting next to me on the phones? And yeah, so, I mean, to me, it made a ton of sense. But what he did say was, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you. Um, I can't let you work. I obviously have to let you go. You cannot work. I know today's Monday, but you cannot work at all for the rest of the week, if not ever again. Uh, but what I will do is if you come back this Friday, I'll give you a severance paycheck and I'll pay you for the week as if you worked, but you cannot work. You have to go home today as of right now. And I took that as a good parting gift. I was like, all right, that's better than nothing, right? If, you, if I get this week's paycheck, that'll get me through the next 30 days. Buy me some time till I figure something out. I said, okay, I can deal with that. And what happened was I went to work that Friday. Well, X job now. Went to work that Friday. And I was the first one at the building like usual as if I was still working there. And by, when I got to the building, I saw that there was a huge padlock on the front door of where my office was at. And it immediately hit me that the company that I worked for that couldn't afford to pay me couldn't even afford to pay their own rent in the building. So the oh. entire, entire business was shut down. They hopped states, they left Vegas, and I never got that last paycheck. Well, so wow, man. So what was, what was going through your mind when, I mean, you, you have this plan, you're working this job. And all of a sudden it's just taken away. Like, I mean, what, what were you thinking? Like what, what was the next plan? Like, I mean, obviously you were planning on having that money as any of us would. What was, what was going through your mind? Like what, what did you do after that? Yes. So, I mean, at this time it wasn't even just me at this time. I had my girlfriend that I was with for six years and I, we had just had my son who was six months old. So, uh, it wasn't just me, right? So when I got laid off and I didn't get that last paycheck, I was expecting that Friday and I'm staring there, I'm standing there and I'm staring at that padlock that's on that door, finally realizing that I'm not going to get paid. There's no chance I'll ever get paid because the company that was in here that I used to work for didn't even pay the rent in the building. It was like, what do I do now? Like, I, I was like completely lost. I was completely at a place where I felt absolutely helpless and alone. Yeah, because when you're when you're in a kind of, when you're in a job like that, you know, we kind of we get credit card debt and we start to commit to all these things and bills because you know that money's coming in and when that money is taken away, it's like a huge huge shakeup. I mean, Absolutely. I, I I I mean, I'm not I haven't gone through nearly the same sort of thing, but I I know I've been that feeling when you don't have a job and you're looking for it and things are adding up. 
Um, and it's, you, you don't really know. And what happens is the banks, if you miss payments, they just add more interest. It's like, they don't right. try and really, you're see, like, I remember having a conversation with the bank and it's, you probably went through the same. They don't want to, they're not trying to help you. They're trying to have, you, you know, they're adding interest and they're adding it, making it harder for you. So you're just digging yourself a deeper hole every single day, which makes it so challenging. Right. Absolutely. And I get what you're saying completely because I went into my bank and I told them what happened. And I said, Hey guys, like I've got $2 in my bank account, right? If one more charge goes through and I go into negative, like I don't want the overdraft protection. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's not there, don't let the charge go through. Um, and they were like, yeah, sure. No problem. Well, no, they never lifted the overdraft protection. So it went negative and then it went 35 bucks negative. Right. And then the following day, it's like $35 a day. Right. Yeah. By the time I figured it out. It was, I was like in the hole for $140 and I went down to the bank. I'm like, guys, I'm not working. I have no income. I have no job. Like, and I have no way of paying this back. And then, yeah, they didn't even care. They said, okay, well, if you have no way of paying it back, we'll just send you to collections. I'm like, that's not an answer. Like, just because you're going to send me into collections doesn't mean I'm going to pay it, right? I have no means of paying it. And I keep it in mind that my son was six months old. So if I came across $5, guess where that $5 was going? It was going in his stomach or on his butt in the form of diapers. Of course. It was like, uh, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from where you say that banks don't want to help you at when you're in that position because it feels like they don't with the, some of the things that they do. Wow. So, okay, you've hit, you kind of hit close to rock bottom, obviously not having a job. I mean, you got a beautiful, you got a child in the world now and you're, you're thinking you're probably going through some stress in your mind. What, what happened? Like, what did you do to get, like, what did you, what was your next move as far as trying to find something else? Like, so, uh, like, where did you go? Yeah. So, uh, the day that we went homeless, uh, literally my landlord came with the constable. He knocked on the door at 6am and the constable, which is essentially the police was like, you got 15 minutes to throw whatever you can in a bag and get out. Right. So, uh, I of course ran to the bedroom. I packed a bag, but that bag was for my son and for you know, my ex or his mom, you know, and I was like here. And by the time the cops bursted in, I was literally able to grab a duffel bag and throw two t-shirts in it and a pair of jeans for myself. God. Right. And that was it. Uh, they literally kicked us out of our apartment and we're downstairs and I'm on the curb and I'm like bawling, like just bawling, just crying. And my, uh, my ex comes down and she sits next to me next to the curb. And she's like, uh, you know, I understand how this is, could be very hard for you. And so I looked up at her. I was like, well, that was a very weird thing to say. Right. And she goes, well, I understand how this is a tough situation for you. And she says, but I got to tell you something. And I was like, yeah. She says, I suggest my son and I, she said, my son and I, we're going left. She said, I suggest that you go right. And essentially what she was saying was, that's it. It's over. We're done. We can no longer follow you down this path. So I gave her the keys to the car that we had. I said, here, take it, go wherever you need to go. Obviously I'm no good for you. Obviously I'm not doing anything for you. Just go. And that's exactly what she did. She got in the car and she left and she went back to where she's originally from with my son. Uh, Not in Vegas. They, you know, they moved back to the state where she was born and raised in. And my very next step was after I was trying to come to grips with my new reality, 
which was no home, no car, no uh, girlfriend, no son, no income, no food, no uh, roof over my head, no security. Uh, it was like, what do I do now? And the only logical thing that came to mind was go back to where you used to work. So I literally walked halfway, halfway across town seven hours to the building that I used to work in, right? I got fired out of, and the same company that had their business in that building had been vacated because they didn't pay rent. I went back to that same, same building. It's the only thing that I knew. And I knew that if I can get back to that building, that I'd be somewhat safe because that building had an underground parking garage. I knew as long as I had like a roof over my head to protect me from the outside elements, I should be okay. So I went back to that building and I slept in their underground garage, like behind a, a dumpster, essentially. Wow. You can't help but think that the fact that you didn't drink and do drugs, I mean, definitely helped you get out of that, right? I mean, because a lot of times, unless you did during that time, I don't know, but did, were you drinking and dro doing anything during that time? Like, No, not at all. I, I knew one of the things that I wanted to do was like – this is going to sound pretty strange, but I knew in the back of my mind that if this was going to be a temporary thing that I couldn't find permanent solutions, right? So permanent solution would be going out and drinking. Permanent solution would be going out and doing some kind of drug because those will help me mask my reality. I didn't want my reality masked. Uh, uh, I didn't want it masked. Like I wanted to get, like, I didn't know how long I was going to be homeless, but I definitely didn't want to stay there. Yeah. So I had to, I had to keep my mind sharp, right? I had to keep my senses sharp. I'm in this new world where I could be robbed from my sneakers in my sleep. Right. And I didn't know when I was going to eat, what I was going to eat next or where I was going to find it. So I wanted to stay sharp and I wanted to make sure that I kept my senses just clean. So that the opportunity ever came for me to get off of my feet or get back on my feet and off of the streets that I wouldn't miss it because I was high or drunk. Yeah, because even it's hard enough just for regular people with jobs and careers and stuff that, that drink too much or do that stuff, you get blown off focus and you know, you you know, you spend two days being hung over. Like I mean, if you have nothing and you're on the streets, the last thing you want to do is cloud any sort of reality that you have to get out of that, right? So the fact right. that you kept yourself, your mind clean definitely would have helped you as far as like grasping a new opportunity or or meeting somebody or something. But if you're sitting there pumping yourself full of booze, you're, you're just, you know, you're just making the situation worse. Right. Right. Exactly. In my opinion. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's me too. I mean, you know, you just look at it like that. I mean, alcohol obviously doesn't help, doesn't serve people right. In, in a very positive way, right. Whatever way you spin it. Yeah. It's fun once in a while, but like it doesn't serve you to be productive and especially to be positive and motivated. So, so, okay. You're, you, you, you're starting to get a taste of being homeless, man. Like I, I can't even imagine. So what kind of struggles, like kind of paint a picture for us when you're in that moment, your day-to-day -day life, like what was happening to you? And, you know, can you kind of explain what that lifestyle was like? You know, there really aren't any words to kind of put it into perspective. It's, it's very, very lonely for one. And I thought I knew what loneliness was, but I had no idea until I went homeless. Because I was homeless for seven months. And for seven months, I had zero human contact. Like wow. zero. No one called my name for seven months. 
no one even looked in my direction for seven months. No one shook my hand. No one gave me a pat on the back. No one asked me how my day was going for seven months. Right. And it's literally like walking among the living, but you're dead and you're a ghost and no one sees you, but you know, you're alive, you're breathing, your heart beats, but no one even acknowledges that you're standing two feet away from them. So, I thought I knew loneliness, but I didn't had no idea what loneliness was until I went home. And then number two, what came with the loneliness was an immense, deep hole of depression. Crazy deep hole of depression. Because when all you have is yourself and your thoughts, oh man, that's a scary place. That's a scary place to be. Where, where's your family in all this? Did you ever reach out to them? Yeah, so my family, I'm the only one this west of Texas. Like my closest relative is my uncle. He lives in Austin. Um, all of my family is from New Jersey and New York. And during this time, you know, I did essentially reach out to my mom, but it was six months later. And before reaching out to her, I, I was so ashamed and so embarrassed of failing so horribly. And then, of course, I was massively depressed that I was, I just didn't want to deal with anyone asking me what happened. So I kind of was hesitant with reaching out to anyone because I didn't feel like I wasn't at a place where I was, I was ready to share my story, like to share my failure and explain why I had failed. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I basically, I, I didn't reach out to anyone. I did essentially reach out to my mom. And this is when I hit rock bottom. You might have thought that rock bottom was being on the streets six months, eating food out of garbage cans, eating leftover food people leave on tabletops, like at outdoor restaurants that hasn't been cleaned up by the wait waitress staff yet or wait staff yet. Uh, you would think like uh, eating out of dumpsters was rock bottom. Um, you know, uh, being on high alert, making sure that I slept with one eye open just in case someone tried to like either physically like abuse me or whatever steal my shoes off my feet while I was sleeping was rock bottom. But no, what was rock bottom was uh, a phone call that I had made to my mom. And at this point, six months, no zero human contact. And I was absolutely alone in a very, very deep hole of depression, like very deep hole of depression. And I uh, decided that I was just going to end it. Like I was like, that's it. I'm done. I cannot, I can no longer take this. Um, I'm, I'm just, that's it. I'm just going to end it all. I'm just going to kill myself. And I called my mom uh, essentially as a way to say goodbye. Like it was my goodbye call, right? It was like, it was like, um, you know, if I'm going to say goodbye to anybody, I'm going to say goodbye to my mom and then I'm going to do it. I already figured it out. Like I, I figured out how I wanted to go. I sat on a street corner and one of the busiest street corners here and I watched and I watched and I watched and I would see I would see who would run that red light, who wouldn't, who would, who would uh, stop at the yellow, who wouldn't. And I figured out very quickly that there was this one bus driver and I don't know his name, but uh, you know, I let's just say I called him Bob and Bob ran that yellow light every single time. Uh, and he's a city bus driver, right? With passengers, right? He would run that yellow light every single time. And he would come every Tuesday and every Thursday at the same exact time. And I go, that's it. He's the one that's going to end it for me. It's going to be Bob at 2.30 on Tuesday. 
so before 2.30 that Tuesday came, I called my mom as, to say goodbye. And as soon as I called her, she, she could hear it in my voice. Like, as soon as I said hello, she goes, what's wrong? And I said, well, uh, I don't know how to explain this, mom, but you know, I'm freaking homeless. Uh, and I've been sleeping on the streets for six months and uh, I haven't showered and I'm eating out of garbage cans. And at this point, I thought my mom would be like every, anybody else. I thought my mom would be, you're what? You're homeless? Oh my God. All right, stay where you're at. I'll get you a plane ticket, fly you back to Jersey. You can sleep in your old bed. You can, I'll make you a chicken soup. Whatever that conversation was, that's what I had in the back of my mind, right? Because my mom was my ace in the hole. My mom was like, if it ever got so bad, I can at least call her and she'll fix everything. Um, and she ended up not saying that. Instead, she said, why don't you go to a shelter? So uh, that was all the confirmation that I needed that uh, it, was, it was worth ending, right? Mom wasn't coming to save me. I knew at that point that no one was coming to save me. And I knew at that point that I had a decision to make, that I could and justify jumping in front of that bus and ending it all. Or I could decide to live and be like, F you, mom. I did it without you. Right? Oh, uh, shit, man. Fuck. And that's fucking insane. That's wow. So you you know you you exactly you think you're gonna talk to your mom and the mom your mom's gonna at least help you or make you feel a little bit better about the situation. And you I mean, it's kind of what you think moms are for, right? I mean, that's what you want to be as a parent. Um, wow. Uh, so, okay. Obviously you didn't, didn't uh, go through with the bus incident. Um, what, you know, you got off the phone call with your mom. You must've been like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why can't I get out of this? Like, or what, why can't anybody help me? Like, what was, what what was the next move, man? Yeah. So as soon as I hung my mom, I made the absolute decision that I was going to live. And I was going to live just so I can one day say to her, I did it and I did it without you. Right. And that was just, it was essential then to have that thought. I, obviously, I don't think that way today. Today, my mom and I have a great relationship. We've made up. We had that conversation where I forgive you. She says, I forgive you, right? So yeah. we're great today, right? Uh, yeah, that's good. But I know now looking back that she did exactly what she had to do for me to be able to make the decision to live. So when she said, go to a shelter, and I immediately said, F you, mom. I'm going to do this without you. I'm going to show you that I can. That was the decision I needed to make to stay alive alive to get myself back on my feet to get out of this situation to get out of this circumstance right and 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 do better and be better so i cannot tell you but i felt as soon as i made the decision to live as soon as i made the decision that i'm going to get out of this no matter what i don't care i'm getting out of this i felt like this rush of like heat come from the ground, up through my feet, up over my shins, up over my knees, up over my waist, and like shoot straight through the top of my head, man. Insane energy. And at that point, I knew 
I'm, uh, that's it. I made the right decision. Let's go. Let's do this. It's time to do work. Like no excuses. I'm getting out of this, right? I don't care what it takes. I'm doing it. So the very next call I made, as soon as that rush went through the top of my head, I heard a little voice in the back of my head go, call Eric. Now, Eric is a boss that I had when I first moved to Las Vegas, and I haven't spoken to him in years. As a matter of fact, the conversation in my head was, like, I'm talking to myself in my head. Like, the back of my head's going, call Eric. The front of my head's going, are you crazy? I haven't talked to him in seven years. Back of my head's going, call him now, right? So <laughs> I'm having this conversation with myself in my head, and the back of my head wins. And I end up calling him. I call Eric. And I go, hey, man, what's up? And he goes, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Dude, I'm freaking homeless. I've been homeless for seven months. I've been eating out of garbage cans. I've been sleeping behind dumpsters. I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do, but I know I'm getting out of this. And he goes, oh, wow. He was taken back for a second. He didn't say anything for about 30 seconds. And then he comes back with, hey, man, uh, I got to tell you something. I don't know if we'll go anywhere, but let me tell you this. I go, okay. He says, I was, I, uh, I was going to start this business with a new partner of mine. Uh, the business isn't going to take off. And as a matter of fact, my partner decided he doesn't want to do it anymore. He said, I got premature and I rented us out a small little office to run our business. He says, um, since we're no longer going to do this business and we broke apart as a partnership, uh, you know, I have this office and I'm not using it. And he says, it's a very small office. It's like 10 by 12, no windows. It's literally four walls and a roof or a door. And he goes, but if you want it, you know, I've got the key. And if you want the key, I'll give it to you. Now, he said, I didn't pay the rent on it last month. I don't plan on paying the rent on it this month. As a matter of fact, everything that's in that office, they could throw out on the curb and I wouldn't even care. He's like, so I can't guarantee you how long you'd be able to stay in that room, in that small little office. But I got the key, and if you want it, it's yours. Now, I knew at that moment, that he wasn't simply offering me a key. He was offering me an opportunity. And that's all I needed. And I said, yes, I will take your key. And he came down and he met me and he gave me the key and he drove me to his office and I lived out of his office until I got kicked out of there. But the good news is that this office helped me get back on my feet because this office was so tiny. And in a part of town where most businesses don't even think about starting up, <laughs> right? <laughs> that the one thing that they did was to make it enticing to bring businesses to this part of town was they would rent out these small little office spaces, but they would include everything with your rent. They would include utilities. They would include light. They would include electricity. They would include, uh, well, light is electricity. They would include internet. They would include heat. They would include air conditioning. So when we opened up that door, it was crazy because he gave me the key. I unlocked it and I opened up the door. I turned the light on. And I said, Eric, the lights in here work? Like, I was amazed because I haven't turned on a light switch in seven months. And I was like, holy, I was like, the lights in here work? He goes, yeah, that's what happens when you turn the electric on, like when you turn the light switch on. I go, wow. And I look around the room and I see this computer on top of a uh, table, like, a, like a, a folding table that you use to like cater food off of. It's not even a real desk, right? And I see this computer. And his computer is like big and bulky. It's got the big back. It's like one of those old computers, right? I go, I look at the computer. I look at him. I go, does that computer work? He goes, yeah. I go, you're serious? He goes, yeah. I go, is there internet on it? He goes, yeah. 
where I was going with that was if that computer worked and that computer had internet on it, I had a way to create a resume. I had a way to find jobs. I had a way to search Craigslist for, for, for manual labor day pay for cash. I had opportunity. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. That's wow. exactly what I did. Exactly what I did, man. I used that old ass like 2002 <laughs> computer or it was so old. Like, if I was open up two tabs at the same time, the whole thing would just crash on. <laughs> right? So I got very adept at just opening up one tab at a time to do like all my research. Man, what a feeling. Like I'm just, man, you, this story is giving me goosebumps, bro. I'm just trying to picture myself and anybody listening, like just put yourself in the situation and just think about that being, having that opportunity, the office and just looking at that computer and, thinking about like, fuck the last six months, I haven't had this and being able to look at it and understand the opportunity, man. Like the way you told that was just so incredible. So, you know, you must've just been like, I need to make this happen. Like I need to make this happen no matter what. Your certainty must've been through the roof, right? Yeah. Like to the point where like you had no choice and that's where yeah. the magic happens, right? Absolutely. So you got this little computer, man, this gets me fired up here in this stuff. Like, this gets me so fired up. Yeah. So you got this computer, you're dialing in, you're like, what am I going to do? Like, what did you want to do? You know, you obviously have been kind of out of it for a little while, but you, you know, you got skills. Like what, what did you want to do? And then what ended up happening? Yeah. So like, I didn't have any real certainty that I would be able to stay in that room for the next three months. Like Eric wasn't paying the rent on it. So at any time they can come knock on that door and throw me out. Not only that, but it's an office space. So there's no squatting allowed. Like I was essentially a squatter right in this office. So I knew that my time there was limited. So I knew that the one thing I had to do is I had to find work and I had to find cash and I had to find it fast. So like I went on Craigslist and I stayed on Craigslist for like, 12 hours a day scour. I got so great at Craigslist. <laughs> I could have started a business, but it was like, but I was like on it all day. It was like, all right, sell orange and find a highway. Absolutely. I'll go do it. Clean toilets. You got it. I'll be there by six. Right. It's like, whatever you need, like I'll go do it. Like move rock. Right. Like I, that was an actual job that I had that someone paid me cash where I moved three tons of rock from their front yard to their backyard with a wheelbarrow and by myself. Right. So it was like most stuff, most people have been like, I'll never do that. Oh, you know, like I have no standards. I was like, I'll do whatever. Right. And I created an, a resume and I sent that resume out everywhere. And I was so blessed to have Eric in my life because Eric was willing to pick me up and take me to job interviews. Now, just because I had a resume and I had job, job interviews lined up doesn't mean that I had a job. As a matter of fact, I started off in a less place than most people do when they're looking for a job because I was seven months homeless, still homeless, squatting in an office, having showered in seven months. My beard is absolutely blown out. My hair is like a rat's nest. And I'm wearing the same clothes, the same one t-shirt and jeans I've been wearing for seven months. They're torn, they're ripped, they're dirty, they smell. But I'm going on job interviews. Right? So I would walk into... I would walk into the office and I would walk in with my resume in hand and every single time, if there was a receptionist, the receptionist would come darting out from behind her desk and run up to me and go, you can't come in here. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm here for the interview. 
sure you are. You can't come in here. Based on what I looked like, what I'm sure I smelled like, right? She didn't want me in her office hitting people up for a dollar. And I was like, no, I'm here for the interview. She was sure you are. You can't come in here. You got to leave. I literally went on 69 interviews until I got hired. Wow. That's... And the... No, sorry. Keep going, man. I don't want to cut you yeah. off. This is gold. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I literally, and that's if I was able to get past the receptionist in the hallway and uh, in, in the lobby. So uh, the last interview that I went on that I got hired at, I got very lucky. I went there and I had my resume in my hand, still same clothes, still beard blown out, still smelling, right? Walked into this office and it was a tiny office and it was a call center. And when I walked in through the front door, I got lucky because there was no receptionist. Uh-huh. I literally walked into the center of their call floor, the center of the call center. And so there's about seven reps on the phones and all their backs are towards me because their cubicles, the way they're set up is along the outside walls of the room. So they're staring at the wall or they're, lap, or, you know, they're staring at the computers and the computers are up against the wall, right? So nobody even knows that I walked in except for the manager in the back. Now the manager had an office in the back right of the, of the bullpen. And he kind of peeks out from his glass office and he sees me. And he has this look on his face like, what am I going to do? Oh my God, this guy is in my office. <laughs> He's like, what am I going to do now? Like, he just has this look on his face like, oh my God, what am I supposed to I've never had this happen before. What am I supposed to do, right? Right. Uh, he, very slowly walks up to me and he just like nonchalantly just kind of says, uh, can I help you? (laughs) And, uh, I was like, yeah, um, I'm Silo. I'm your two o'clock. And then he just looks at me and he he goes, you're Silo. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's me. And he just looks me up and down and he goes, all right. Come with me. <laughs> and, he, and he walked me into his office and he interviewed me and he freaking hired me, man. I couldn't believe it. Like, I just, I couldn't believe it. And uh, the only thing I could tell you, the reason why he hired me is because the job was commission only. So he wasn't essentially, this is how I rationalized it, right? He wasn't essentially losing anything by having me there, right? If I didn't work my butt off and I didn't make sales, I made no money, right? So but for me, again, all I needed was an opportunity. I could care less that I was commission only, right? I was just like, I don't care. I got a place to come every day. I got work. I got a guaranteed income coming in unless I'm like guaranteed income, meaning if I work my freaking butt off, like I'm guaranteed to get something. I don't care if it's like a $10 check at the end of the week, right? So because that $10 is more than the dirt and, and, and the rocks that are in my pocket right now, right? So... So the uh, yeah. Why is like in- extremely high at that point? Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> and like, I mean, it's yeah. Wow. So you, you got, it's basically like you need to sell this shit or, you know, you're not going to eat, but it's a good yeah. opportunity that he gave you though. Right. And you know what? Let's go back a little bit to the late, the secretaries and stuff. And, you know, I can see it can be, it can be challenging from their point of view too, because like, you know, most of the time, if somebody comes in, you kind of got to just, it's human nature. I mean, even myself, when I'm running 
you, you know, I've been running bars all these years and then somebody that doesn't look the part comes in, you immediately, you immediately kind of, you know, judge, which is, which is not a, a good thing to do. Obviously we've, I, I feel like we've all done. I know I have, and I'm sure other people have, but you know, it's a tough situation. So, you know, you're going through and you're constantly, you know, having these secretaries and man, it must've been super discouraging, you know, like, have you, did you ever think like, maybe I should just go and like, like, I don't know what, what was going through your mind after, you know, getting told no so many times, like, what other options did you, did you have? Did you, did you think of anything else? Like, no, it was the only thing that went through my mind was keep going, keep going. Yeah. And then, okay. So you got the sales job. Now take us a little bit further. Now, how did you, you know, how did that kind of project you into sort of where you're, where you're at now? Like how did yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, uh, you know, I took that opportunity very serious. You know, I kept my same work ethic. First one in the office, last one out, came in on Saturdays if boss needed me, uh, commission only again. And I learned everything I needed to learn. The company that I worked for was a long haul moving company. So they're like the moving company you call if you're moving from like New York to, you know, California and you want your stuff thrown on a truck. Like, so I worked in a call center that kind of arranged your entire moves. So, you know, I wasn't just a sales guy who would sell you on your move, but I was also the customer service rep who was there for you every step of the way, talking with the drivers, talking with the labor, you know, making sure your truck got there on time, unloaded, nothing broke, right? Stuff like that. So uh, I learned everything I could about the business. I knew nothing about it and worked my freaking tail off. And within the first 30 days of being there, I was the number one sales off rep in the office. Uh, within 60 to 90 days there, I was number one sales rep outselling even the senior reps that have been there for eight years. And it was just that work ethic. It was just like I was working without distraction. I was, I was just killing it. And like, I only say killing it now, but then I was killing it just to be able to eat. Right. What was your, what was your strategy to selling? Was it just you being you or was there like something that you developed that you, you became good at? I mean, a lot of people out here listening are, are, you know, probably on their entrepreneurial journey as well, you know, and selling and influencing is such a big part of a lot of people's, you know, pursuit. What was your, right. what was your trick yeah. coming top in your, in your industry there or in your, your business? Yeah. Like I just knew that if I worked harder than the next guy, I would get it. So when I worked, the only reason I became number one in the, in the office in the first 30 days was because I went to the number one guy in the office. I said, how much did you make this month? He said, Oh man, I made seven grand. I was like, I'm going to do 15. <laughs> and this dude is like laughing at me he's like bro are you serious and i was like dude i'm gonna kill it i'm gonna crush your record right he goes okay let's see if you can i said all right challenge let's do it and i worked my freaking tail off man and i i, I now i didn't do 15 i that month like in personal production i did maybe six grand i think so i didn't a actually beat him but the point of the story is, is that I beat my own self-limitation because if I didn't have those goals in mind, I would have sold for anything. Worse, I would have been like, oh, here it is, four days on the phone, no sales. I guess this isn't for me. I guess I might as well quit. Yeah. Right? But it's because I had that drive, that determination. I wanted to eat. I wanted to make money. I wanted to improve my situation, my circumstance. I wanted to get back on my feet. Uh, and keep in mind, I have this job. It doesn't mean I have a roof over my head. I'm still sleeping behind dumpsters, 
So I like, and I, and I had that deep down desire to beat my mom too. Right. Cause I told you like, I wanted to, Hey, I'm like, F you mom, I'm going to do this without you. So it's all these things coming together. So any entrepreneurs who are listening right now, they're looking for that inside edge. That inside edge is find the best person that's doing what you're doing right now. Approach them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, ask them how they're doing what they're doing and then challenge them to a friendly bet to double whatever they're doing right now. Wow. That's cool, man. That's a great idea. <laughs> wow. So you can obviously, you, 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 you can speak well and you, you have a, a good communication. You have good communication skills. It's evident just by talking to you. Did you always have those? And did that, did that help in, in kind of taking you? So you've done really well in your current, you know, in that company and then on to your next projects. Did you find that being able to speak and communicate was super important or did you develop that as you went on or is that constantly something that you've been, or is that always something that you've been very good at? You know, that's a little bit of a, you know, to answer that question would be, Oh, well, that's why he's had the success he had or has. Right. So I want to answer that question without anyone listening, using that as an excuse of why I've had the success that I've had and continue to have. Um, I think it was, it's always been there, but after I went homeless, I had, I was forced to kind of craft it to work for me. Yeah, for sure. You would have to be right. I had to, um, you know, I just had to make it work. I had to, I just had to make it work. I had to be clear. I had to let people know what my intentions were. I had to let them know that, you know, this is how I see things and this is how, this is how it's going to get done. Right? Yeah. I just had to. Um, coming from where I, where I came from, being homeless doesn't help you or anybody else. Even if you're not homeless, even if you're in a situation right now where you're not making as much money as you want, you're in a situation right now where you're driving a crappy car that's 10 years old, you're in a situation right now where your spouse, or your boyfriend, or a significant other doesn't believe in what you're doing, you, know, you don't have time to sugarcoat things. Like You have to be, this is what I'm doing, and that's it. And no disrespect, love you, husband love you wife love you mom dad or you could be like me like f you mom but like you know i'm gonna do it and you have to have that clear intent and you have to be able to have the words to match it for sure a lot of people are i mean that's a huge factor a lot of people need that sort of you know i'm going to show you that i can do this attitude i mean if that's what it takes that's what it takes everybody's got their own their own reason their own why right I mean, it's, yeah. it's people hit that point, and like you said, that 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 energy, that burst of energy you get, and you're like, okay, this has to happen. I have to do this now. And for whatever reason, you know, some people need to get back at somebody, or somebody just, you know, for your, you know, somebody has a daughter or kids, and they want to do it for them. There's so many reasons, right? So that's um, incredible, man. So talk to me about um, Fork and Spoon, your your restaurant. This is super interesting too, man. Yeah. So, you know, uh, fork and spoon, you know, started off as, and uh, I just got a notification. My battery is dying really quickly. So I'm going to move through this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> through, let's, let's hammer. Yeah. Through. I'll, yeah. I'll hammer through these. So, um, you know, I have a deep why today and my why is that no one person should ever go hungry. That's my why. Everything that I do, every decision I make is based on how is this going to impact the next person. And, the fork and spoon came up as an idea as a concept for a pop-up restaurant 
where every plate served gave a plate of food away to someone who can't afford it. So what I did was is I created just that, a platform for people to give back, to pay it forward, specifically for people who don't have the time to go out and volunteer. And I made it and I created it and made it in an innovative way where it got them to come down, pay it forward, give back, but in a way that's comfortable for them to give. And who doesn't like wine, who doesn't like to drink, and who doesn't like to eat really great foods prepared by a chef like five minutes before you walk into the door. And that's exactly what I created. It was a pop-up restaurant that had celebrity chefs, and the celebrity chefs would create a five-course meal. And you would come down, you'd pair it with wine, and we'd spend hours together. Uh, as you ate, there was it was entertaining, it was innovative, and it gave people a way to pay it forward. My menus, we're top of the line menus. We've had seafood, we've had steak, we had all kinds of really fantastic foods. We even did a vegan pop-up. And the twist to my pop-ups was this. My menus, when you come to my pop-up events, first of all, they were private and invite only, which means you had to know somebody to get in. And two, I switched the locations every month. So you never knew where the next pop-up dinner was going to be. So you had to stay in the know. And then what I also did was my menus that we created had zero prices on them. At the end of my pop-up restaurant, at the end of their five-course meal, they would get a receipt that reads zero on it. And essentially, the message was, leave whatever you feel your experience was valued at. Wow. And people would leave for a five-course menu. Uh, you know, they would leave $75, $80. Some people would leave $100 per person. And I found this to be very fruitful because if I was to just create a menu and be like, oh, course number one is $10, course number two is $15, that's all I would have gotten at the end of the day. But I found by leaving my menu with zero pricing on it, I received more than I would have received if I had pricing on the menu. Man, that's such an awesome concept. I would love to do that in Vancouver, man. Like Vancouver's got, in the east side's got so such a problem with homeless and so many different issues there. Like, I just like went off in my head. I'm like, man, that would work in, in Vancouver so well. That's, that's incredible, man. Like, I love that idea. Like, it's just, and you must have had a lot of success with that because people, if you got a good experience, people are going to, people are going to put out the money, right? Oh yeah. Like we've had a lot of fun and we've created a lot of experiences. I've kind of put them on the shelf for now doing my pop-ups, but when we were doing them, they were fantastic. You know, oh, yeah. uh, of course, just like, uh, any other business, we had ups and downs. I had pop-ups where, you know, we had 80 seats reserved and only 40 people showed up. So I had to come out of pocket for those events. But the events that we did that were sold out did exceptionally well. And that's exactly what we did. For every meal that we served, we gave a meal to someone away for free that couldn't afford it. So getting back to that immediate impact, it was, yeah, we're providing this great pop-up restaurant, great menu, celebrity chefs, but all that stuff's on the surface level. What's underneath the service is the person that's going to be impacted because of this event was put on. And that's the person who can't afford to eat. Yeah. And wow, that's, that's a great concept, man. What about, talk to me about we win 360. Give me, yeah, uh, so, I'd love to hear about that also. I want to share that with everybody. Yeah. So uh, we win 360 is my, my latest baby, my great, <laughs> and keep this in mind too. I was never really an entrepreneur. Like I don't even still consider myself an entrepreneur today. I'm just doing what I love to do and I'm finding unique ways of doing it and making it sustainable, not just for myself, but those who I want to impact. Right. And today it's called social entrepreneur, right? You're a social entrepreneur because you have this entrepreneurial spirit 
or you, you understand business and you're innovative and you're creative, but you also have this social side to you that wants to make an impact in some social cause through business, right? So, and I didn't know that's what I was when I started Fork and Spoon. I just wanted to make sure that no one person ever went hungry. And then I slowly started to find out this movement called social entrepreneurialism and where people are creating products and they're getting innovative and they're using business as a platform to impact social causes, whether it's uh, equality, whether it's education, whether it's cleaning the oceans, cleaning the air, like people have all kinds of really great businesses out there that make impact in those causes. So with the success that I've seen being an entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, I launched WeWin360 because I saw a rise of people who wanted to become entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, but didn't know where to go to get started. They didn't know how to get started. And being a social entrepreneur, a lot of things are different from being a traditional entrepreneur, including how your business is ran, including what your message is, including who you're impacting, including how you use your profits, right? All this is uniquely different towards a social entrepreneur than just a traditional entrepreneur who is in business for profits and profiting the stakeholders. Right? With a social entrepreneur, you're in business and profit, yes, of course, but your profit is there to impact a social cause. Yeah, so, that's... Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love how you, you worded that. It's, um, it's a, hopefully your batteries, you got a, got a little bit of juice left in there. I've got uh, 9%. <laughs> okay. No, that's great, man. Social entrepreneur. I mean, to have that social impact immediately, right? Is that, that's kind of what you, you want to have. You, you want to generally help people, right? I mean, you want to give back. Yeah. You're going to yeah. have a business. You want it to help as many people as possible. And, and we went 360, which is my new coaching and consulting agency, is essentially that, me giving back. It's yeah. me giving back to that person who wants to be the next best social entrepreneur who wants to impact, you know, uh, equality or sexual, you know, whatever it may be. But, uh, yeah, it's just me giving back. It's me giving my knowledge that I've learned ever since being homeless and starting my, my, my businesses and, and creating social impact around them and, you know, giving them the opportunity. It's like if I can give back to you as a budding social entrepreneur and shave four years off of your learning curve, right? Or you could surpass me in the next six, six years, right? Why not? Why not? Yeah, it, for sure. And I, I love that kind of, a lot of people are waking up in that sense. Like being an entrepreneur, you have to be, it's not just about the money. It's about how many people can I help? And that generates wealth for you, right? And the more you yeah. can open up that and realize that, because if you're not helping people, if you're not adding value or giving away something, then what kind of wealth can you expect to grow for yourself, right? Exactly. Like, and and I, I really like different concepts. I love hearing your story and how how it all ties together. And, you know, where, I don't want to miss this. Like, where can people find you, man? Because you got some incredible stuff and and- You've been like top 40, under 40 list on Esquire. I mean, you, it, like you're obviously powerful and growing. So like, I want to share where, where can people find you? Yeah, I appreciate it so much, man. Uh, they can find me obviously by going to wewin360.com. So it's wewin360, the numbers.com. Uh, also find me on social media as well. So uh, obviously I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm at the max right now on Facebook for friends, but you can always add me on LinkedIn or Instagram. And at Instagram, uh, I'm the, the I'm at the social cause, or sorry, oh, I just changed it. Uh, at the social good consultant. 
Okay, it'll all be on the show notes as well. We'll get Elias to get awesome. all the show notes in there. Um, yeah, as well, anybody listening for Facebook, you can still follow if you're he's at the Max Friends. That you can still follow him, right? And uh, which is also good with Facebook. So if you've yeah, absolutely, people hit their five thousand friends and. But yeah, man, um, it's awesome. I want everybody to go and check you out. You got some amazing stuff, and I'm so excited to to see where you grow. And it's been a it's been an honor, man. Um, if you can give, I try to ask everybody this: if you could give one tip for overcoming adversity, I know you've done a a shitload of different things to overcome, but like one thing that stands out in your mind that you can give, you know, to to help somebody going through you know, some struggles or some shit that they can use to overcome adversity. Yeah, absolutely. I would say two things. I would say one, just do it. Like just, do, I don't know what it is that you want to do. Just do it. Like you don't need, like I, everything that I've ever done since going homeless, I did it because I just wanted to do it. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have, I didn't sit down with lawyers. I, did, I didn't do all the research. I did some research, but I didn't spend all my time doing research right? It's just, just do it because the true learning comes from being in action and getting it done. That's where the true learning is. And then number two, I would say, if you need something to motivate you, to push you, to inspire you, make it something outside of you that's bigger than yourself. Mine is to make sure no one person ever goes hungry. So create one that's much bigger than yourself that gives you that push every day to go out and do something massive right? Because that will be the pull it needs to get you to your dream. When on the days when you don't feel like getting out of bed, on the days when you're, you have a cold, on the, on the days when, you know, uh, it's Saturday and you want to sleep in, that pull from the outside of you will keep you waking up every morning at 4am, will keep you pushing through the days where you have a cold, will keep you pushing through the days where you want to sleep in. Awesome, man. Gotta get a you gotta get a notepad out, man, for that stuff. That's gold. I um man, it's been an absolute honor chatting with you. It's uh you know, I'm so glad to hear your story and things are working out. And I'm sure that uh you're gonna inspire like a ton of people. And anybody listening to this, um will I, I'm sure people are gonna get a lot out of it. So again, thanks very much for being on, man. And I really My appreciate pleasure. it. All Thank right. you, brother. It's an honor. Thank you. Right. Thanks, man. just finished another class at the university of adversity don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with lance ecos